All right, welcome everyone. Thanks for coming out on this cold Thursday night as it's been dark for three hours and it's only seven o'clock. This week's Parsha, Parsha Chai Sara, is probably one of the deepest pieces in the Sefer Eish Kodesh. We know that the Eish Kodesh is the Pizatzer Rebbe's painstaking discourses from the Warsaw Ghetto. The Rebbe was unanimously appointed the rabbi and leader of the Warsaw Ghetto when the Jews were sequestered. Oh, weird. Yeah. Anyway, when the Jews were sequestered into the ghetto and confined there, and the Rebbe gave sermons for four years, from 1939 until 1943. And this, I've had the, had the privilege of going through a lot of the Sefer Ish I think that this is such a powerful piece because throughout the book, we see the Rebbe really reconciling with evil. And this is an honest, upfront account of what it means for a tzaddik to struggle with the absence of God. And the presence of evil, the presence of evil in our lives. And the approach that the Rebbe takes throughout the book varies. There are times where the Rebbe just encourages his followers, and he's obviously giving these discourses in private. He encourages his followers to just accept their suffering. At times he calls them out in his famous Maimur on Hanukkah, and he says, how could you complain about the suffering of the Jewish people? And this is just another rung in the Jewish ladder of suffering. The temple was destroyed. Betar was destroyed. Just take it in stride. But this is a fundamentally different way that the Rebbe responds to his pain. So we'll start, and it's on Chai Sarah. So the Pusik says that the Rebbe is quoting and of course the Rebbe didn't have access to materials um, the Rebbe was offered safety to work in a shoe factory and this obviously is all being brainstormed off the top of his head without any access to farmer resources so the Pusik says and Sarah lived for a hundred years and 20 years and seven years these were the years of Sarah's life and the Rebbe brings the Rashi, Perush Rashi, Lachen Nichtav, Shana Beklal Klalu Klal. It explains this in length. It doesn't just say 127 years, it says 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years. Lomar Lacha to teach you, Shekolacha Nidrash Liatzmo, that each component of the numerical value making up her numerical um, years of her life, 127, can be darshaned, can be extrapolated on its own. Bat Kaf Kibat Kaf Lit When she was 100 years old, she was 20 years old when it came to sin. And Bat Kaf Lochat just like she didn't have any sins when she was 20, so too when she was 100, she didn't have any sins. And she was like the beauty, the innocence of a seven-year-old like she was when she was a 20-year-old. All of these extolling the praises of Sarah. So the Rebbe begins his drasha, and he says, What does all this have to teach us? What is this replication of repetition, of talking how Sarah was 100 years and 20 years and 7 years. What is this coming to teach us? We know the Torah is not a history book. Everything is meant to apply to every generation. Because we talk about many pious and righteous members of the Torah, but when it comes to extolling their virtues and praises, we don't go into great detail when describing their death like we do when describing the death of Sarah. And there's something even more astounding. And also when it comes to describing the death of Abraham, which our Parsha later discusses, we also extend and spell out the way that Abraham's death was. For example, the Pasuk says, We also say that Abraham lived 100 years and 20 years and 5 years. Um, However, Rashi over there, Perish Kam came Shanir Mashihi below Chet. And Rashi also says that Avraham was without sin, just like Sarah. 
However, when it comes to Sarah, at the end of the Pasuk, it says, And then at the end, it says, However, when discussing Avraham and describing the life and death of Avraham, it just says, It says that Avraham lived 175 years, but it doesn't say, It doesn't, the Pasuk doesn't, go back at the end and say these again were the lives of Avram, were the years of Avram, to indicate that all of his years were equal in terms of their magnitude and stature. So it seems that Sarah is placed on an elevated pedestal in terms of the recognition that she gets and she's viewed as the preeminent Sadekes in terms of someone that we should be emulating. What's so the, the question for Shikula and Shavim Good question. Rashi, I think. Because he's saying that he's saying that when she was 100, she was like 20, and when she was 20, she was like 7. And the reason each thing is extrapolated is to teach you that every single one of her years was and yeah. Rashi actually says that or it's a good question actually because I've, I've heard that idea but never ever with a source and it's just like everyone agrees that good question that means well let's look um I don't know that's a good question I think it's a good question I don't know I would assume that I would assume it's this Rashi in terms of saying that out of all of her years, all of her years were, I would assume Shav and Latova were equal in terms of goodness. And if we're saying that when you're 100 years old, you had the same amount of sins as you were when you were 20 years old, it means that all of your years were without sin, I would assume. And that perhaps can be Shav and Latova. They're all equal for good in the sense that they all didn't have sin. God, I'm not questioning the logic of it. I'm just questioning the mucker of it. I guess Is it's it Rashi. Rashi. I, I don't you know. know. It's a good question. Good question. Good so question. why would they cite it over here? So these are the footnotes afterwards. It's a great question. The Rebbe, obviously, when he's giving this, he's just speaking, and then afterwards he would amend the text. Um, I think this is the – it's a good question. I actually would have to look into this. It's either the footnotes that were later attributed to it. I know, for example, with a lot of storm, for example, Rav Kook. Rav Kook didn't cite any of his sources. But in Rav Kook's farm, namely Arotin Arota Kodesh, his citations are often brought down. And that's someone on account of going back and looking through the writings of Rav Kook and trying to apply sources um, posthumously to try to show everyone where it's coming from. So it could either be that or the Rebbe himself did give a footnote, but both of those are very good questions. So, okay, so we understand the Rebbe's opening question. Why is it that Sarah is viewed as the preeminent Sadik or Tzadikas? So, Amnam, Ita Besefer HaKodesh or Vishemesh, the Rebbe's quoting, I believe, his great-grandfather, the more Vishemesh, who was Rav, Rav Kolmanis Kalman Shapira, very similar name to the Pizatzer Rebbe. Um, Beresh Parshas Ve'era, the more Vishemesh named after his Sefer, more Vishemesh, on Torah is quoting in the beginning of Parshas Ve'era, and he says, um, um, And the Ma'or V'Shemesh is quoting from the Riminover, and he's quoting the Gemara. And the Gemara in Brachot Hayamad Aleph teaches us, The Gemara is talking about Yusur and Shalava, it's a very famous Gemara, where the Gemara itself reconciles with theodicy, the question of why bad happens to good people. And in amongst a number of answers and giving a number of possible reasons, the Gemara then pivots to another understanding of suffering, and it says that there is this covenant of salt and there is this covenant of pain. Mam melech mam teket habasar, just like salt fixes meat on account for it to be eaten, and it takes out the blood, so too pain is able to cleanse and purge man or woman of all of their sins. Dahainu, explaining, Mam melach af mosif yoter mikishur, basar. 
Rak dafka im nimlach kishior. So this idea is that just like salt cleanses meat, so too suffering, according to the Gemara, is meant to cleanse an individual. But Rav Menachem Mendel of Rimenov quotes an unbelievable teaching, which the Mordom of Hamesh is quoting, and he says, the Menachem Mendel of Rimenov on this Gemara, he says, but let me ask you a question. What happens if you salt meat too much? What happens if you oversalt meat to the point where it's not able to realize the benefits of the salt because the oversalting is preventing the meat from being edible? He says, And he says, so too with suffering, Hashem. You should only give us suffering in a way that it can properly cleanse us. But if you give us too much suffering, if you add on too much pain, we're not going to be able to receive the benefit of this suffering. It's not going to be a cleansing agent. Rather, it's going to make the meat unedible. It's going to make us so downtrodden and so unable to serve you that it's going to lose its entire purpose. And we know that when the Piazzatzer Rebbe is quoting this, this is coming amidst the backdrop of tremendous despair and destruction. And just to quote this book, this is an amazing book by... Rabbi Dr. Henry Abramson, who I believe teaches at Toro, and he wrote Torah from the Years of Wrath, the historical context of the Eish Kodesh, the name obviously alluding to the original title that the Pizetzer gave the Sefer Eish Kodesh, which was Torah Mishnota Za'am, Torah from the Years of Wrath. And what Henry Abramson, Dr. Rabbi Henry Abramson did is he pitted these lectures in their historical context. He tried to fill in what were the events happening in the Warsaw Ghetto prior to the Rebbe delivering his sermons. And he says the historical context, referring to this drusha, however, renders this passage absolutely terrifying. Because these are the first words that the Rebbe uttered publicly since the death of his son, daughter-in-law, and sister-of-law. One can only imagine all the tension in the room after he delivered the drusha. Affliction should be meted out only such in measure that they can be tolerated and with an admixture of mercy. He couched his veiled message, really, a personal communication between the Rebbe and his God within the biblical and midrashic narrative of Sarah's death. So we know that this is coming a month. This is the first time the Rebbe is speaking publicly in a month. And this is him dealing with God, directly mourning the death of his son, the, 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 the death of direct family members. So the Rebbe continues and he says, Hashem, this is too much. And if you give us suffering that's too much for us to bear, it's going to lose all of its purpose. But then the Rebbe continues and he says, Vihine Rashi Perush Velama so then the Rebbe adds, but why did, why did the Torah choose to juxtapose the death of Sarah with the binding of Isaac? And Rashi answers, The Rebbe teaches and Rashi is teaching us that on account of Sarah hearing the news that her son Yitzchak was about to be slaughtered at the Akedah, it was too much for her to bear, even though it didn't happen. And parcha nishmata, her soul immediately fled and left her body. Hainu, sowing to teach us. Shemoshe Rabbeinu, Raya Mehemnuna, the Feshvelth shepherd. Samach mita sarala kedas yitchak. The reason that Moshe juxtaposes in his unlayering and his unveiling of the Torah, the death of Sarah to the binding of Isaac, is kidei lahamlitz tov badenu is to give us a good piece of advice. Because Moshe is trying to teach us the negative ramifications of being afflicted with too much suffering and pain. And he says, what happens to Sarah when there's more pain than she can handle? What happens to Sarah when there's more suffering than she can bear? 
Shaparcha nishmata. Her soul vanishes from her body. Just like when meat is salted too much, it's inedible. So too, when we are doused in suffering, it comes to the point that it no longer has its benefits of cleansing and purging us of our sins. And why did Moshe teach us this when it comes to Sarah? Because Sarah, because Sarah is the prime exemplar of someone who is 100 years old, really only has the sins of a 20-year-old. And we know about Sarah that all of her years were good, meaning she had no sins. Even someone on the lofty spiritual level of Sarah, the highest among us, the example, the leader of the Jewish people, she herself, the holiness among us, was unable to withstand these unbearable pain, the suffering, the news that her son was dying. And the Rebbe says to Hashem, if Sarah couldn't handle pain more than she could be dealt, so too we can't handle pain more than we can be dealt. And I think this piece is so powerful because the Rebbe isn't just saying it's all good. A lot of times in our religious observance, we're sometimes trained to think that we can never get angry at God. That everything we have to undergo in our lives, we have to take with the approach of Gamzulatova, which the Gemara Tainus tells us, and that's obviously important. And we do have in our rabbinic arsenal the advice of saying this too is for the best. But I think the Rebbe here is presenting a completely different model of theodicy, where he's saying there's a different way for us to reconcile when bad things happen to good people, when there's evil, when there's suffering, when there's pain, when there's destruction. And it's the ability to turn to God and say, I don't get it. It's too much. Put an end to your suffering. And I think this is an incredibly real relationship because in all relationships we're able and should be able to directly confront God and confront the other, whoever we're in a relationship with, with our emotions. And I think that the reason that so many people are drawn to the Eish Kodesh and the Eish Kodesh is so special is because the Rebbe really doesn't hide the way that he relates to God and especially he relates to God in times of suffering. And if we continue on the second to last paragraph, it says, Odef Shalomar. It's also possible to say, Shagam Sar Imenu Atzma. And we can also say that Sarah took the news of the Akedah so seriously to her heart to the point that her soul left her body for the good of Yisrael, for the good of the Jewish people. Rather, the Rebbe is darshaning in such a clever way, saying that Sarah was Messiris Nefesh for the Jewish people. She took the news so severe and she actually took it to heart to the point that she died. Why? To teach Hashem. To show Hashem To show Hashem that it's impossible for the Jewish people to be afflicted with suffering more than they can handle and to show them what will happen if that's done. And he says, even if we survive on account of our suffering, even if the Rebbe is speaking about himself and his congregants, even if we're still physically here, Nonetheless, our strength, our mind, our spirit, are broken. And they've been abandoned from us. It's the example of if you work a sheep half to death or if you work a sheep fully to death. Either way, if you lend out your sheep and it's worked half to death or fully to death, you're not getting the value of the sheep that you lent out. So the Rebbe's saying... What difference does it make if you kill us in all, if you kill us in part? Nonetheless, you're killing us. And he says, And that's why the Pasuk at the end says, these were the lives of Shara. That's why it's repeated with Sarah, not with Avram. 
חטא שרה נגד שר שנטויה שהיה לו שחיותם באים לא לקחה כל כך אל לך מעשה העקדה. Because we're saying that on the surface, חטא שרה, that שרה had sinned נגד שר שנטויה שהיה לה לחיות באם. I have no idea what they're saying. We'll just skip it. Aval Kevan, Shelatovat Yisrael. We're saying that really Sarah shouldn't have. I think it's saying is that really Sarah didn't deserve to die on account of the Akeda. However, she let herself feel to the point. Aval Kevan, Shelatovat Yisrael Asta. And Sarah did this for the good of the Jewish people because she was saying to God, this is the result of suffering that goes too far. And she was highlighting to God the effects, the negative effects that this could happen. And that's why the Pasuk says, Shnei chai Sarah, these are the lives of Sarah. Achar, after 127 years, Kulan Kigam We know that Sarah never sinned even after 127 years. So too, Hashem should have mercy on us. And this is why Sarah is viewed as the arch matriarch, because she's willing to sacrifice herself, according to the Bizat Sarebi, to show God that suffering too much is detrimental and that it shouldn't happen. And the Pizat Rebbe says, Hashem should have mercy on us. And on all the Jewish people. And we should have a revealed redemption that's speedy and revealed in spirituality and in physicality with great and revealed mercy. And I think that this piece is obviously incredibly powerful because it's the Rebbe being so real and so raw with Hashem. And I think that this is a, giving us an insight into the way that we can approach God in our lives, that the Rebbe recognizes that life is very challenging and it's totally valid for us to sometimes scream out God and say, what you're doing is not okay. And what you're doing is too much for me to bear. And, and, that's, and that's a valid aspect of a relationship. And if we look just very briefly, Rebbe Nachman Abreslov has a similar approach and we won't do the whole thing inside. Rebbe Nachman Abreslov, in Torah Yud, Tet, Yud, Yud Bet, excuse me, Torah 12 in Lakute Tinyana, the second half of Lakute Maran, Rebbe Nachman has a very famous Torah called Ayeh. And just to basically sum up this Torah, Rabbi Nachman is talking about screaming out to God in a time of difficulty. And if we start with the underlying portion, it says, Even when we fall into doubts in our lives, this can be doubts on account of heresy, this can be doubts on account of how can God be in the Warsaw Ghetto. There are times where we fall into tremendous doubts. And our mind drifts away from Hashem. He says, however, this falling is only for the purpose of rising again. And he says in the second underlying portion on the left, on the bottom left, he says, Rabbi Nachman says, even those places that you fall into, even in those moments of doubt, in those moments of, of heresy, of bilbulim, even those dirty places, even if you're in a place of Avodah those places are also filled with God's essence. God is also found in those places. What does he mean? And Rabbi Nachman before teaches that Hashem is Malikolarts Kivodo. God's glory fills all worlds. And if we go to the top left column, Rabbi Nachman is instructing us that even if we fall into places on account of evil that's happened to us or of negative thoughts or, or lapses in faith because of the things that we've encountered, it's important to scream out to God and to challenge his presence. And we'll explain. And he says, When we fall to dirty and disgusting places, When we fall to lapses of faith, 
ואזי מתחיל להסתכל על עצמו, and we look at ourselves, ורואה שרחוק מאוד מכבודו יתברך, we realize that this place that we fall into, us ourselves right now are completely distant from God. And I heard this Torah explained on two fronts. It can be when we fall in our lives, when we sin, or it could also be when something horrible happens, when we encounter evil, when we encounter a car crash on the side of a road. And in that one moment, there's a thought in our head and says, how can God be there? Rabbi Nachman is saying the way to rectify that situation is not to say God's not there, but it's rather to challenge God and to scream out to God and to say to God, I am a come kavodo. Where is your place of glory? It's the direct challenge of God of saying, Hashem, show me that you're in this place because it doesn't look like you're in this place with me right now. And Rabbi Nachman says that on account of paradoxically challenging God, we're reaffirming his presence because there are two responses to evil. We can either say God's not here or we can say, God, I know that you're here. You must be here, Kimali Aretz Kavodo, because your glory fills all worlds. And as a result of your glory filling all worlds, your glory must fill this space that I'm in, but I don't see your glory. So show me your glory. And on account of challenging God to reveal himself in that moment, you're saying you know that he's latently present, he's latently there. And it's through this challenge, through this anger, through this screaming at God, It's actually the ultimate affirmation of God's existence because it's the expectation of him being there. And Rabbi Nachman is echoing a very similar thing, meaning that when we scream out to God and when we're angry, sometimes this is a healthy response that allows us to actually show the deepest depths of faith, showing how our falling is actually the cornerstone for the greatest risings in our lives. Because instead of neglecting God's existence, we're reaffirming it with a question in the form of an angry relationship. And Rabbi Nachman says, Umavakesh ayim. After you realize that in that place or in that event you're far from God, after we've fallen, this is the main fixing. And this is the falling on account of rising up. And then on the left paragraph, and he says, When we scream out to God and we say, Show me your place of glory. That in and of itself restores God's glory up to the highest places, to the loftiest supernal platforms. And I think, again, this, this is stuff that needs to be taught. And, and I think a lot of times we're taught that there's no place for anger in Judaism. And we have to just blindly accept what God does to us. And, and perhaps there are tzaddikim who are on the level who can do that. But for me in my life, when, when I encounter struggle, when I encounter difficulty, it's not always so simple. And knowing that we can call out to God in anger as, as a real tool of a relationship is incredibly comforting for me. It's something that I find tremendously powerful amongst these two tzaddikim. And it shows that I think more than anything that Hashem just wants a real relationship with us in our lives. He wants to know what we're thinking of him. He wants to know what we're going through. And he wants to know what we're feeling. So we should be zocha really to just have a real relationship with Hashem, to follow in the words of the tzaddikim. And in a moment of, of lack of clarity, in a moment of doubt, in a moment of pain, in a moment of evil, to really scream out, I am a kavodo. To say, Hashem, where are you? I know that you're here and I just need you to reveal yourself to me. Shabbat Shalom. Chaim.